Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, giving leaders the tools and information they need to grow and change their worlds. Now here's your host, Dale Dixon. Creative thinking with John Carrick. Welcome to the Complete Leader Podcast, everything you need to be a high-performing leader. I'm your host, Dale Dixon, and this edition, we're joined by John Carrick. Usually you hear Ron Price's voice sharing details and going diving deep into the Complete Leader book. And today we're we're looking at this topic of creative thinking. John, thanks for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Dale. I appreciate the opportunity. So we need to let our listeners know that we are in a convention center in Phoenix, Arizona, as part of the TTI conference. So you're going to hear some voices in the background. You might hear some banging because the crews are setting things up. So just bear with us as, as we have this conversation, because it's going to be a, a fantastic conversation. John has about 35 years in the corporate world where he's been doing human development, and he has spent a lot of time in this area of creative creative thinking. And, and I'm going to start, John, by asking you to tell us your story on how you've progressed into this area of creative thinking. Yes, I'm delighted to, Dale, because it's it's a major change for me in, in my life. Growing up, I was in a very traditional school situation. I had to take six years of Latin, and in that that education, I don't recall ever being asked to do something explicitly creative. But after I graduated from college, I had a uh, rather vivid experience that really shifted my thinking and opened me up to my own creative thinking. And so I've had opportunity in the corporate world to teach creative thinking. Uh, it's one of the delights of my life uh, to write love poems to my wife, uh, to write long letters to my children, uh, some of the stories that are going on in my life, as well as to put together uh, materials for presentation and the like. What's the impact in your personal life? I think when I hear you say love poems to your wife, letters to your kids, yeah. it makes me think, okay, what's what's the application? What have what have you seen as a result? And 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 even more specifically, what does some of that look like? Not necessarily a specific love poem, yeah. but what does that look like for you? Well, it look, it, uh, here's what it looks like. When I, when I wake up in the morning, uh, I love getting right to the computer because I, I feel full of uh, possibilities. And so I do my best creative work early in the morning, sitting at a table where I look out uh, on a, a series of bird feeders and, and into a forested area uh, where I live in New Hampshire. And uh, it's just a wonderfully rich, uh, it's almost an exuberant experience to be full of ideas and have them just flow out of me. And it's the delight and surprise of, of what comes out. And when I put it down on paper and I begin to reflect on it, and uh, it's about what I'm made of, how I see things and understand things, and the, and the process uh, is just a delight for me. Thinking about our audience first, yeah. for the person who says, well, that's not me, I'm just not creative, yeah. what's your response? Well, I said I really empathize because growing up, I didn't think myself uh, creative. And, and I, I go back to a particular experience, Dale, that I had just after college. Well, actually, in my the spring of my senior year. So 1964, the, the country is, is, is in turmoil. I'm very confused about what to do with my life, whether I should run away to uh, Canada or should I go teach uh, so I avoid having to go to Vietnam. And a mentor of mine says, oh, listen, I, I know where there's a great small school in Manhattan that needs a middle school teacher of math and English. And I think that would be a great situation for you. 
So I, I got the job and I noticed in the job, I had to teach English, which was fine, but I had to teach poetry. And I thought, oh man, you know, I really hate poetry. I, I, I had to take all this Milton and John Keats stuff like looking into Chapman's Homer and much of I traveled in the realms of gold. And I thought, oh geez, I just, that stuff's dull as dirt. And uh, I can't, how am I gonna teach that stuff? And so I thought, well, I better study something about poetry and, and maybe contemporary poetry has something that's, that's much more uh, relevant to me and speaks to me. So I, I went looking through some catalogs about adult courses in Manhattan and the New School for Social Research has a fabulous category, uh, catalog of, of courses. So I took one on modern poetry and it was uh, run by Diane Wachowski, who herself is a practicing New York poet. So I go to her class and she's a live poet. And she's not, we're not reading out of books. She's there reciting her own stuff. I was, wow, this is pretty interesting. And she invites her friends in, people like Galway Cannell. So, wow, it's really stirring. And, and one guy comes in, I can't remember his name, but this was really a pivotal moment for me. And he reads a, a poem called Zen Foods. And I have no memory of, of the content of the poem, but I remember that the, the inspiration for the poem came as he's walking down the street and he passes by a frozen food truck that has a door open on the side so that the sign on the truck reads Zen Foods. And that is the takeoff point for him and creates associations about living Zen. And it starts, it starts with a frozen food truck. And that really knocked me out. And, and I thought, really? That's what it's about? Is that being creative? I mean, it's as simple as that. It's taking something and adapting something else to it and just letting it fly. And it just really uh, kind of astounded me. So we're always looking for real world yes, application right, to help right, leaders right. to help yeah. leaders uh, grow in their journey. What, I, what I'm hearing just yeah. off the bat is number one, um, you've got to be open to learning yeah. and you went out and you sought instruction. And yeah. then one of the pivotal moments for you was when someone was aware of their surroundings. They were present. It was walking down the street yeah. mm -hmm. and seeing FRO on a door yeah. and being left with ZEN from frozen foods. And, and it's adapting one thing to another, one thing to something, just adapting a food truck to poetry struck me as very unusual. Now, later on, when I learned more about this, I come across um, Thomas Edison, a principal of his, now Thomas Edison, one of the great inventive minds going. And he says, be on the lookout for ideas other people have used successfully and adapt them to your own purpose. And so when I start teaching creative thinking to brand managers at Quaker Oats, this becomes central. So one of the things I do to, with them is take them to a museum in, in Chicago with an assignment to come back with a brand name. And so I had a group of, of uh, brand managers, pet food brand managers one day doing this. And we went into the museum and there was a, uh, an exhibit from ancient Egypt. And out of that association, they came back 
with the name, the brand name, King Cuts. Wonderful, and it turned out to be a very successful uh, dog food brand for them. And, and this, um, historically, this has been at the center of making breakthrough thinking. So something like the printing press, Gutenberg. I mean, this is a revolutionary device, absolutely. One of the, one of the most significant inventions um, in human history. Changes the game dramatically, and here's where it comes from. Gutenberg looks around his circumstances and he sees two machines a coin punch and the wine press. And he folds the two together to make the printing press. And in our own lifetime, you see things like uh, Federal Express using the same principle. So Fred Smith, as, an under, as, a, un, as a graduate, uh, MBA student at Yale, he looks around and he sees the Federal Reserve System. All the checks flow into a regional bank are processed and then flow out to the local banks. And he, and he sees also the hub and spoke arrangement of airlines. And he, he adapts those together to create Federal Express. Nobody else had, had, had uh, developed such a thing before. Now, if you want to read more about such things, um, uh, Hans Johansson has a wonderful book called The Medici Effect, which explores this uh, and has numerous examples from, from surgery teams going to study Formula One car racing in order to improve their effectiveness and the like. But it, it's that principle, adapting to unusual things, looking around the world, noticing, going out of your own familiar territory, your own body of knowledge, seeking to understand something very different and applying it to your own situation is a way to get a, a, a very creative possibility so tell us yeah. some other stories sure. i mean you, sure. the quaker oats you've yeah. talked about food what are some other examples sure. that you have from well, your background where you've seen this really take yeah. root and have great effect here's 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 another one that was really vivid for me that again uh, really opened me up to possibilities and, and uh so at this time i'm teaching uh, technical rock climbing in north carolina and i'm in the linville gorge uh, a gorgeous stunning uh place wilderness area in western north carolina and we're high up on the ridge, rocky outcropping, uh, rock climbing. And I noticed that a photographer has appeared on the ledges and is wandering around. He's not related to us, uh, but he's taking some photographs of us. But he, he's wandering around taking photographs, and he seems to be taking a lot of photographs. And he's still there when we break down the climbs. And I go over to him to find out what he's up to. And it turns out he's a National Geographic a photographer doing an article on North Carolina. And I said to him, well, I, I'm, I couldn't help but notice that you seem to be taking a lot of pictures just from this one point. Um, typically, how many photographs do you take for a, a, a geographic article? I, I said, I read geographic and I'm, I'm thinking a finished article probably has 15 or so uh, Photographs, is that true? Yes, he said 15 to 20 is, is our standard. Well, tell, you know, tell me, how many, how many photographs do you take to get that result? We said, oh, every assignment I, I do, I get 40 rolls of 36 initially. And I can always ask for more, but that's the standard first issue. Well, this is before digital oh, oh, photography. Yeah, this is before digital photography. And, uh, and so I, I, you know, I did the, the multiplication in my head quickly. I said, that's, that's over 1,400. And, 
And so it became, it just, it's clear to me that the principle from that is you want to get a good photograph, take a lot of photographs. You want to get a good idea, get a lot of ideas. So that's really, uh, that's one of the a fundamental principle of thinking creatively. So I had an opportunity to do a good deal of work at GE during the uh, workout uh, change, a huge uh, effort, global effort across all the businesses at GE, starting probably about uh, 1978. And uh, it was a major bid on uh, of uh, cycle time reduction. And I and many and uh, uh, many others were brought in to help facilitate the problem solving process. And, and my colleagues and I were astounded with with the uh, with the GE engineers. Then they their basic problem solving process was was problem solution. They they jumped right to they get one idea and go right to solution. And we were kind of stunned. And so that became one of the principles that we taught them. If you want to get a good idea, get a lot of ideas. And a lot of ideas for a team means probably in, in 15 or 20 minutes, they should be able to generate 40 to 50 ideas. So, and then I had a third, uh, out of that GE experience, I was, I was in a class one day taught by, by someone else. And, and the woman ran a wonderful uh, exercise called five more things and she had people pair up and and go back to back and said now change five things about your appearance and when you've done that turn around and face your partner and try to determine what your partner has changed in their appearance so yeah pretty straightforward everybody you know moderately fun so there's a little bit of chatter around the room and and uh, then she says all right turn back to back again this time, change five different things about your appearance. Oh, there's a little bit of grumbling in the room, and, and uh, some, some. All right, you know, they're very dutiful, so they go ahead and and do it. And they, and she said, "All right, face yourself, face each other again, and figure out uh, what did your partner change." Yeah, and so, and then a third time, she says, "Now back to back again. This time." change 10 different things and you can't change something that you've already changed so if you turned your watch around you can't just turn your watch back oh there's a huge squawk in the room people are growing i don't have 10 things to change. i don't i i can't do that i don't have 10 things so few people begin to light up and they begin to look around at each other and they begin to exchange things well wait a minute. give me your watch i'll put your watch on oh or they look across the room and they see Oh yeah, somebody's somebody's turned their jacket around, or they've taken their shoe. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Or they picked something up off, off the table. And it it changed my paradigm dramatically from one of scarcity. My parents grew up during the Depression, and so they are children of scarcity. And, and in my household growing up, um, it was very awkward to ask for new shoes or new pants until they were well worn. And now, now I have a glimpse of a paradigm of abundance. And I, I get it. There's always five more possibilities. And I bring that into some work I do with Toyota. Toyota lives and dies process improvement. So I went to the, uh, their facility in Georgetown, Tennessee, which was their first facility here in this country, uh, a plant where they built three different models of cars. And they're ferocious about process improvement. They're always driving the game forward. 
about how to reduce cycle time, how to do it faster, better, and all. And one of the big problems they had was the, the, uh, the stamping presses. That took, at that time, the industry standard was 11 hours to change over a stamping press, the huge hydraulic presses that make the parts like hoods, trunks, door panels, and the like. So if you're gonna change a model from Corolla uh, to another, you have to change the, the stamping presses, and it takes 11 hours to change them over. And, but they really, and they look at this and they say, this is really critical. If we could reduce the time here, that's going to that's gonna change our, our business radically because right now we have to do these long, long model runs. We have to run Corollas for days on end. And then we got all these Corollas stacked up. We got all this inventory. And so we stack them up here or we send them to the dealers or wherever, but they sit around and it's very expensive. So boy, if we could really reduce even a little bit the changeover of the printing presses. Yeah. So that five more things exercise became central to that. And these guys started attacking the changeover for the stamping presses. And they, and they, they, uh, they had some breakthroughs and they got it down to five or six hours. And, and they're thinking, oh yeah, hey, you know, we've, we've almost half the, the industry standard. And, the, and they kept at it. There's always five more things. And they kept at it. They got it down to about an hour. Wow. And they had some major breakthroughs like modular dies where they could just shift things in and out real quickly. They had to change the design, of course, of the automobile some. So this. they got it down. To, when I was there, they got it down to 10 minutes. From 11 hours, 11 to, hours to 10 minutes. An extraordinary change. And it, it, it changed dramatically their business so that they could essentially build to market. Every car that came down the line was different. And a different model, um, a different body style, could be two-door or four-door, so they could, they could literally build to market. And so there was no inventory. Everything went out the door, right on the rail cars, and out to the dealers. Boom. Extraordinary. And it was that perseverance about there's always five more things. How else can we do this? How else could we change this? What else could we do? How might, what can we try? What if we do this? Boom, boom, boom. All that. Always more, five more things. There's always another possibility. So that paradigm is one of the most powerful I know. This has been a rich conversation, John Carrick. Thank you so much. I walk away, I'm thinking, okay, first I, I need to go out and look for opportunities to just expand my knowledge, seek education, going back to, to the way you started us off. And then I'm going to be very aware and present of my surroundings, the frozen food truck. Follow that up with my mindset and, uh, I'm sorry, curiosity then got to stay curious then my mindset and a mindset of abundance versus scarcity and always be looking for five more things those are some very concrete ways that each and every one of us can expand our creativity and really be creative thinkers and then to take this full circle you practice on a regular basis i hear you say every morning you're in front of the computer creating ideas yes yeah, there's two places I do most of my creative thinking. It's early in the morning on the computer, and I, I'm a, a bicycle racer. And so uh, what I do, a lot of incubation. So when I get on the bike and do my training in the afternoon, usually 
I, I have a few things stirring and I find that getting on the bike and, and hammering the incubation process, things bubble up ideas. So I always, almost always get ideas uh, when I'm cycling. The main challenge for me, particularly at my age now, is, is to remember them. So I have to use a few different mnemonic aids so that when I actually get off my bike at the end of the ride, I can remember the ideas I've had. Uh, and that's become a very rich source of, of uh, ways of getting ideas for me. So I, I get off the bike, I go right to the computer to capture the ideas, and then I, I do my uh, cool down and all that. So it's really the mental cool down I do before the physical cool down after my training. John Carrick, folks want to get a hold of you, get in touch with you. What's the best way to do it? Yeah, uh, John Carrick, one word, uh, K-E-R-R-I-C-K at Comcast.net. Love to chat with you. All right. And John's contact information will be in the show notes of this podcast as well. And while you are out and about online, would you do us a couple favors? Number one, make sure that you subscribe to this podcast so that you have the latest edition at your disposal in your favorite podcast player while you're there. If you would rate and review the podcast, we'd be most grateful. Your rating, your review helps push the podcast higher up in search results as people are looking for leadership content online. And then if you're looking for more resource, more resources like this around the Complete Leader program, you can find so much online at thecompleteleader.org. All one word, thecompleteleader.org is your place to go. John Carrick, thank you so much for your time today. This is the Complete Leader podcast, everything you need to be a high-performing leader. Thanks for listening to the Complete Leader podcast. Find more online, thecompleteleader.org.